Welcome to Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie, where we are enhancing your complete set of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Let's see if I can go formal this time, Charlie. If you are not already, make sure you're on the newsletter. This newsletter is helpful. The URL is businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Ta-da! I can be. I nearly didn't say anything. I was like, that was so good. We should just go straight to the disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Business and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Business and Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personal or specific financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when you are making investment decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Grant, today's episode is going to be a fun one. We're going to be looking at the opportunities we see for 2023. Um, I must say I had a lot of fun doing the research for this one. There's so much opportunity and things to be excited for. I know the you know other things like the other media, which we're going to get into in this episode, <laughs> may try to convince you otherwise, but I see a wealth of opportunity in both business and investing coming up in 2023. How'd you find it? You, you talk about the doom and gloom media, the media that we shan't talk about. Those guys. Dun, dun, dun. I was very similar. You know what's funny? When, we were, when I was putting together my list, I was like, oh, what am I looking at? What are the opportunities I'm excited for in 2023? And then I wrote this huge list of speculation. <laughs> what do I reckon is going to pop up? And then I'm like, well, I can't cover any of that. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is... I'm like, this is exciting for existing business owners, for new business owners. I think 2023 is just going to be a fun year. Let's use one as an example because there was one you wanted to bring into this episode that I said no to. And I'll talk about this one here, which was AI. Yes. As something, totally. as an opportunity. So I think we both agree that like AI is going to be important and it's going to be something eventually. Yes. But as for it being the greatest opportunity of 2023, I, I just don't believe it. I don't think it's actually that useful or practical yet. There's very few applications or people are able to use it to do well off is what I see. What's your view? Totally. It is a great solution looking for a problem. The only reason that I'm looking at it is user statistics. It took them three days to get a million new users on that open AI chat GPT-3 thing. And I look at that and I go, that is people signing up to interact with an AI to explore it and that just to put that in perspective, it took Twitter two years to get to 50 million users. It took, I think it was Pokemon Go, it was like 19 days to get to that 50 million. So I'm looking at this going, how long does it take for this thing to get to 50 million? Because that is an indicator that now society is starting to look at AI and go, maybe AI. And so I'm like, maybe this is the first side of consumers interacting with AI. And at some point, one of those 1 million at the moment or soon to be 50 million We'll go, this is a great problem to apply to. And I hope, for God's sake, it is not an automated content writing thing because <laughs> there's too many of them. Something else is what I'm talking about. Do, do you know what I hear when you say that? What? <laughs> what a great marketing hook. So for everyone, <laughs> the opportunity of 2023 is to say, AI. whatever you do, add on, we use AI, <laughs> and that is how you're going to make it hot. So uh, we're, we're a media agency. Um, we actually use AI. That, that, that's what we're doing to do it. We use artificial intelligence with our, our video editing and um, like that's how it all comes together. Buy our stuff. 
Don't tell everybody, man. They'll all want to steal the ideas. <laughs> but yes, yes. Way too much speculation. I get you. Shit all over. All right, let's ideas. kick into this. So we're going we're gonna to go back and forth. We've uh, made quite a list here of what I think are exciting and uh, very, very interesting opportunities in both the worlds of business and investing. I'm going to take first crack here. And I let's think one of the biggest opportunities in 2023, and this is a business one, is TikTok ads. <laughs> now it's come up quite a lot in our podcast and like I think in one episode I even wore the TikTok hat that TikTok You definitely me. did. Yep. Yeah, so I'm going to I'm going to lay out the opportunity and then I'm going to talk about how the potential is to play it in this one here. So in the world of social media, there's a strategy that's been deployed which is called have them over for lunch and eat them for dinner. And what it means by that is that for every new social media platform what they do initially is they let everyone on the platform and then they give them a lot of reach for free, right? So this is just like a drug dealer who gives away, you know, their hit free samples. initially. <laughs> yeah, free samples. And if you think yep. back, right, this is like Facebook, like organically having a Facebook page used to be a really good strategy. And then over time, what happens is these platforms need to make money. There's only so long they can give away free samples. And eventually what happens is that they start to introduce ads and then – those ads get more and more expensive and then we see something more like what Google AdWords has today where that's a more mature platform. Not to say that it's going anywhere, but Google Ads is not the opportunity or search ads more specifically. It was once upon a time. Like if you were one of the early people on Google Ads, like I remember buying mortgage broker, uh, the word mortgage broker is a click for like two cents. It's like <laughs> $20 today and that's the evolution it goes through. I remember buying insurance, health insurance related for like 67 bucks a click. <laughs> it was when it was way too late to use it. <laughs> Completely. So if you look at that in and believe in these cycles, which is the same thing that happened as, you know, Google did it, then it's Facebook, then it was Instagram, right? Then it was YouTube or might have been YouTube before Instagram, but somewhere in that region of how it works. Those platforms have really started to mature and are actually expensive for people to be found where TikTok, because of its newer nature, has been able to create an environment where not only is the organic reach uh, quite strong compared to other platforms, but then the ads platform is super cheap. And I've specifically mentioned this as the ads platform. So across this year, I've run quite a few tests where I've taken the same piece of content and I've run it as a Facebook ad. So this would be a short video. And then I've also run it as a uh, TikTok ad. And I'm seeing a difference in cost of traffic of about 10 times. So That's if insane. I could buy a click on uh, Facebook in this example, realizing that not everyone who listens to this show is into media buying world like I am, so I'm trying to keep it in terms that are relative, you can get 10 times the bang for your buck on TikTok ads than you can Facebook right now. So if you are a business that is suitable uh, for the TikTok platform, I think it's very merited and warranted to consider injecting more of your marketing dollars in TikTok ads. I think it is a huge opportunity in that way. And I also think for adding a business layer to this, if you're the type of business like the one we have, Valamedia here, which we work on to produce and grow podcasts, align your services with that trend. And I think you will have a particularly strong year on that front. And like, that's what we're actually planning to do. So not only do I think this is a huge opportunity for businesses in 2023 if the platform is right for your type of business. It won't work for every business. 
but I see the businesses that support this style of content and media are going to do quite well and backing it with our own horse here. It's an interesting observation because I've looked at the TikTok data. Does me. I always look at that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's fascinating how quick their growth is into, what do I say, more mature people. Like So most, like my personal opinion was going, ah, oh, this is like 16, 18-year-olds, maybe 20-year-olds, kind of like the new like dance hip- videos, right? <laughs> Completely. Like, let's go and dance and do all these pointy things and stuff like that. But then they've started doing things that appeal to, like, the older generations. Then it went to, like, 20s, 25s, 30s. And as someone in his 30s, I'm now looking at this thing going, huh, there's actually an appeal for the information that I want to consume. And, like, not all of it is dancing people and people pointing. There's actually quite a lot of summarized educational information around various things, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, whether it's operations. Like, it seems like this is the greatest way for someone to articulate a point in a very short way. And I don't know what they're doing, but they are hitting this older generation hard, fast, and it's it's showing within the ads that we're running, but it's also showing in like the user stats that they share to us. So I'm like, what? I never thought so many older people would have dove into this platform. It's interesting in the idea that what I see is like, Basically, millennials are down, and even some Gen X, to be honest, are on there. Yep. But do, do you know what I really have felt across this year? That TikTok is kind of like Bitcoin, and I'll express how. It's like people are, are skeptical, right, and eventually they hear something or see something and like, oh, I'll give it a little go. And then once they're in it, it's like they're in it. They become like yep. the believers. And that's yep. how I feel I am. I feel like I'm like, I was like, oh, this TikTok thing, it's just another clubhouse. I'm not, I'm not even going to worry with this. Another Periscope. It's Tumblr, another, yeah. MySpace, <laughs> whatever it is. Like this platform's just going to um, fail and it's like it has it. And then eventually you give it a go and then you're like, hang on, like why why were we not doing this earlier? And yeah. I'm, not, uh, I'm not at all advocating Bitcoin. I just want to make that very clear. It's like I'm just more to the idea that the type of person is like they're sceptical and then once they come inside and try it, that they get the idea of it's, there's more than to be seen, right, more than at the surface level that comes here. Yeah, and, the, and to that point, that is like that land and expand component. It's like they incentivize people to create their own content and, as you said, reach is fantastic, especially for new users. And then it's just this self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like, oh, we're just going to keep feeding you back. But then as they get more users, people get more views and it is just this huge flywheel that I just, I think the cat's out of the bag. I don't think they, you can push this thing back in the bag. I'm curious, do you rate that higher than you rate like Elon Musk stepping into like Twitter ads <laughs> and try to fix up their targeting? <laughs> Some interesting insights for me is, um, so I think you have to look at the nature of how people consume on a platform. And I'll give you an example is like Facebook and Twitter are scroll distractionary platforms. Like you go on there yep. to scroll through and read and look at um, images potentially or even some video where if you think about like uh, TikTok and YouTube, their consumption, you go there yep. to consume something. So this was one of the really things that um, kind of threw my hair back when, I, or if I had some. <laughs> uh, wait, 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 for anyone listening to the audio, I have luscious hair. Um, Golden locks. I couldn't, and this is one of the things that's interesting is like what TikTok have really done is like they've kind of made it like 
they've taken a really cool thing about YouTube where it's a consumption platform. People go there to watch video. That's what they're there to do. So they're consuming things, not scrolling and reading, but consuming video. But then they've also taken the advertising features of Facebook. Yeah. Where YouTube doesn't have that same type of thing. So it's kind of like hybriding them. And I think that's been what has been very interesting for me is a lot of things I used to run as Facebook ads have now become more effective as a YouTube ad when it comes to media. And fun fact, right, We and hopefully people have seen these, the short clips we actually make for this podcast that we do run as ads, TikTok ads have actually been our second biggest factor of growth this year. And I think there's, a, and to really go speculatively, I think we've got two more years of good times where it's going to be incredibly cheap because a lot of people won't be on the platform. And like, that's a move I want to take at full advantage of. And I encourage others to as well. There's plenty for everyone. Especially as they're increasing in users. It's like this first mover advantage. So if you were, I don't know, selling, I don't know, an e-commerce store selling like hair extensions to like 16, 18 year old girls or something like that. Like TikTok was like, TikTok ads were like a year, two years ago. Right, because they were like they were all just hammering it. But now, if you're like a B two B service, like the statistics, like we're seeing more reach get out to more people every week. And I'm like, this is there is nothing more than more users going on this platform within this area because we target specific ages, we target specific interests, we target all these specific things, and the reach is just there. Like I'm like, I'm seeing something, Charlie. So I, I agree with you. I like this point. TikTok ads. I'm for it. I concur. Well, you would be hard not to be biased in the idea that it's worked for us on this. We are biased, say, right? but it's our podcast. <laughs> we get to be biased, and this is an opportunity we see. But let's Appreciate kick over to you, Grant. Let's get All your right, first so, point. So my, my very first point is I'm just going to summarize it as like independent media. Is that is that what – think about what we are, Charlie. Like we are we, – we have an opinion. We are doing the thing. We are business owners who invest inside and outside our business – and we create content, which hopefully is educational and entertainment in nature around that thing, which means that people go, wow, you are going to be better at providing this information or we trust your opinions and trust your viewpoints more so than if a journalist was to write about it in a newspaper or in a magazine or if they were to cover it on, I don't know, like a generic news outlet because a journalist isn't doing the thing. How many journalists are business owners that are talking about generating wealth inside and outside their business? Minimal. However, they'll still try and write an article about it. <laughs> right? They'll still try and talk about the thing. Can, can I just re-articulate that? I want to make sure I'm on the same same page with it. The still. way I'm thinking about it, it's like direct-to-consumer media. Completely. This is what, the way I'm thinking about it is like for us, we create something here as the example and we take it straight to the audience. There is where, no yeah, where if you were going to do something, let's say with a big uh, news organization, is there's like they're not the ones doing the things. They're kind of they're watching other people do things and they're writing about it and then they're taking it direct to consumer. So this whole yeah. independent media world has is, is really opened up. And I, I love that point you just made. And I think it's really interesting. And we'll use property as the example here. It's like if you look at the AFR, how many people that write about property that are not property <laughs> investors – or aren't like 90% of them. And, and don't get me wrong, sometimes there's some fantastic journalism. They do create a really interesting content that maybe I wouldn't be able to do or another property investor wouldn't be able to do. But it's fascinating, and we'll use um, mortgage broking as the example. 
is like, do I really want to read an article a journalist has written about mortgage broking? Or do I want to hear from the actual mortgage broker, like raw on what he's experiencing? Totally. To to sort of bring your first point in, there's a mortgage broker on TikTok that just covers every change in lending, in borrowing, how that impacts first home buyers, how that impacts investment. It's really good. I've seen the channel. I didn't (laughs) know you were on it also. (laughs) (laughs) Like the guy, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, this is a mortgage broker. Right, who does the thing is day in, day out talking to banks, evaluating loans, getting rejected, getting approved, and he's like documenting it. There is no bias. It is what it is, right? Like it's like, well, this is how we now got lending for the person in this complete situation. And I'm like, just consuming this is 10 times better than trying to pull out a newspaper and read an article around what's the state of borrowing in Australia because the guy's actually doing the thing. And then he'll come out with a new update. It was like, oh, well, this is what's changed. And I'm like, well, that even came out quicker than the newspaper <laughs> referred the, to the it. The speed, right, of going direct to consumers. You could make a video today and publish it where if it had to go through a traditional uh, news outlet, it's a very different system, very totally. difficult to get that. And it a, opens up so many things. So how does this become an advantage for someone though, right? I, I would, I dare say... Everyone who listens to this podcast is kind of aware of this, I'll say, trend and the advantages of it. But how do we make this something that's an opportunity in 2023? Totally. So this, uh, the trend that's coming through has started like a couple of years ago where people were like, I was in this camp of going, I don't really trust media outlets. They seem to be biased one way or the other, trying to get me to do one thing or the other. Where do I go? And it's always been that, oh, maybe a podcast, maybe a YouTube channel, but there was just nowhere really for people to go. And now how many families do you know that watch YouTube at home instead of free-to-air TV? How many different people listen to podcasts on the way to work or going for a walk to get a coffee in the morning or these things? And so I'm like, this is the perfect opportunity for people in tiny niches. Like we just spoke about a mortgage broker, a freaking mortgage broker (laughs) where he could come out with a podcast once a week, twice a week. He could come out with... Um, a video on his YouTube channel once a week that people can go and subscribe to where he is the go-to person for people to get information. And so instead of us sitting down watching news, for example, and then getting fed topics, us, the consumer, will go and subscribe to uh, one about borrowing, one about uh, what are the trends in different markets in Australia for property, to use that as an example, um, what are they doing for first home buyers, and then just watching and consuming that information selective to us. So it's specific to us. So the opportunity that I see is that now it's not a, someone trying to create generic content to hit a, a mass market in property, for example. Dude, like people are going so micro, so specific, and others are hitting it. Others are consuming it, right? Like imagine a channel just talking about, hey, here's first home buyers, and this is what people do is first home buyers in a particular state or in Australia. And people who are in that area, like in that, Purchasing cycle, they're like, that's what I need. Consume, 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 consume. All right, you got, you're going deep on me, Grant. So the opportunity is for business owners to become their own media direct to consumer. Completely. Right. I, I concur in a huge way where I don't think that was conceivable or possible. And you've got you've got these other layers to it as well. So like you mentioned the behavioral ones of how, what people do now. They watch YouTube instead of watching uh, standard TV in a lot of ways. And I must admit, I don't, I've never plugged my TV into an aerial. Since I don't you bought it. No, don't even have one. Uh, podcasts, instead of listening to the radio, 
is has really changed, right? It's it's a, a huge thing there. But the other side of it is like how cheap's equipment? Oh, dude, how easy is it now to do it? My first studio cost me like ten grand, and I'm sure anyone who's actually in film would be like, "That's what I spend on one camera," <laughs> right? But the idea being is you can get a reasonable studio together like we do now for what under five, probably like three grand. You could pull something off. Totally. I don't see that stopping either. There's better tech continually coming where I think eventually in the next coming years, like uh, MacBook Pro will be enough to to do what we do now. And hurry up, Apple, side note. <laughs> Save me money on equipment. But I also think about it from the other side. So that's one thing for business owners that they can do right now where they can hit it. But I also think about like business-to-business services is like if everyone's trying to become like this sort of micro-famous maybe or this like create their own sort of form of media – as a business offering services, it's like, well, what can you do to help them? Is there an additional way that you can get them more exposure? Can you help them buy equipment? Can you help them fit out their room? Um, maybe people need podcast studios because they don't have space at home because they've got a smaller house. Like there are so many like second and third layers outside of that going, well, if everyone's moving this way, what like like the gold rush, the, well, they need shovels, they need jeans, they need places to live, they need all these other things in order for them to do that thing. I also think that that, like similar to what we do uh, with like Valor Media where we go and edit people's podcasts and produce it and do all these things. I think that there are other things around it that will also become massive trends. There's this great website called The Streaming Guys. Have you been on it? Never. Why I like it is they make kits. This is their edge in (sighs) e-commerce, right? So they've got like if you want to be a streamer, here's a kit and you just get it all in one thing. And I'll bet their business has boomed in the recent years and will continue to boom just on that like little play. See, yeah, that's like an e-com play. It's not even services. Have but you it, seen like Ken Okasaki's The Go Box? Where it's like this I love that thing box. as well. That's very cool. Yeah, it, you open it. It's got your laptop. It's got cameras, lights, everything done. And I'm like, that, <laughs> like this is where everything's going. It's like how do I rock up to an, a hotel, slap the thing on a desk and just like record. It's like done. DSLR shooter. How many times have we watched his videos? So if you're a if you're an expert in how to use equipment, and DSLR shooter is actually a, a YouTube channel that teaches people to use their cameras and equipment more proficiently, or set up their studios. Yeah, like he's gotten on this trend as well because there's all these people out there going, well, how do I uh, get all this lighting right? Well, how do I set up at my desk to work well? So that's like a creator space that is now becoming uh, demand. I concur. His channel will boom in the next twelve months. Totally. And the people will come in and people will go out, right? It's like people having content that's for newbies, for experienced and advanced people, for like pure experts. You can tailor the content based on where people are. So he's like, I'm there, help them set up, get them to buy some stuff. And then they'll move out when they've set it up. And then they'll come back two years later when they want the next setup, right? And he's, but he knows that in his business model. And I think those are the things that I'm like, yeah, this is turning into the world that we live in. I saw a really interesting um Instagram account uh, not too long ago and it's actually for a, a builder in Canada. So this is someone who builds like homes and or does renovations I should really say. And I must admit the production quality they had put into like time-lapsed videos. So they yeah. would like yeah. Oh, and I'm watching this stuff and I'm like the way they've been able to incorporate their independent media to show the transformation of these homes. Right? So they do a full you walk around it's a mess. It's like a uh, it's like watching the block in a two-minute clip. 
Thank gosh, no. Politics. But I would, I would, if I was in, I would buy from them because of the way they did that. I love the way they demonstrated what they do, and like it's just a, that's the independent media world we're going into. The the brand awareness, so that when they throw up an ad saying, "Hey, Charlie, did you want to buy our how to renovate your bathroom thing?" You're like, "Yeah, sure, no worries at all. I trust you. I see what you do. I know it's going to be a good thing." Versus just googling someone and clicking the top link and going, eh, "I might try and buy this thing." <laughs> What about you? What's your second point? All right, let's go to second points here. So um, an opportunity I see in 2023. <clears throat> so this is an interesting one. I'm going to call it cost-cutting and efficiency improvement businesses. All right, so this is a B2B and potentially B2C consume, um, ideation I've had here. Now, across the last six months, we've had continual bombardment of the idea of living costs are going up, inflation's here, interest rates are going up, and the byproduct of all of that is that businesses and consumers have been conditioned to think the idea that they need to save money. I really do. I think a lot of people are like, oh, tightening my belt. They're being a bit cautious in how they spend money. So what I feel is going to be a very, very interesting trend and opportunity for businesses in the next year is to lean into that. So if business owners are looking at ways of cutting costs, I see a great opportunity for people to create software solutions or to create uh, business models that actually support people saving money. So I'll give you an yep. example. If you're an accountant who specializes in working with the construction industry, as an example, if you were able to uh, create an offer that was like, we'll help you get your costs down, We'll show you where you can save money on expenses and tax across this year. I think those types of offers will do very well. If you have a software that enables people to use less staff in their business. So, hey, use our software and you'll be able to cut your um, labor bill or whatever it is by 20%. I think that's going to be a very, very appealing thing. So, I am looking at this and going, the businesses that are able to offer efficiency gains, right? So, making a business more efficient or directly cut costs will thrive in 2023. Can I dive deeper on that? Can I tell you how to do this? Absolutely. Thing? That's what you're here oh, for. Dude. Otherwise, I'd just do a solo <laughs> podcast. <laughs> just sit there talking to yourself. All right. So at, uh, at the Enterprise Project Management Software Company that I co-founded many, many years ago, uh, we had a client and it was a utility company. And now big enterprise organizations, every five or six years, they go through like a massive cost-cutting exercise, right? Just because they have bloke. And they go, we've got bloat, we need to cut it back, and then they'll just repeat the cycle. What they do is, I thought this was the greatest, it was the greatest report I've ever read, is they go out to one of the big four consulting firms, think like your PwCs, your Deloitte's, your BCGs, et cetera, and they'll say, we need a benchmark report. Now, what they do is they'll go out, so imagine this was, I don't know, an electricity utility. They will go out to all of the other electricity utility companies read their annual reports, look at the projects they're currently running, do an analysis on it. They'll go overseas, look at what people are doing overseas. Do they charge like $100,000 for these things? And they will write a 50-page report with like 500 different projects that they could do to reduce their operating costs. And I'm talking about reducing operating costs by like $100 million a year. And it's like if you remove – if you do all these 500 projects, which will take, which will take you a couple of years, your costs will be better – than all of your competition. And so I think about that. I'm like, imagine going in 
and creating like those reports for specific types of businesses. Like imagine agencies, like a, a benchmarking report for agencies. And it's like, hey, your cost to deliver should be this, your cost, your profit margin should be this. And hey, if it's not, these are the reasons as to why and what you can do to solve it. And <laughs> this is what they do in like enterprise. But you have to be so niche specific, like you have to hit that target. So imagine going out and just having like 50 of these benchmarking reports because these big consulting firms, do they just resell them? So they go to all of the other electricity companies and say, do you want this report? It's a hundred grand. I love grand. that. <laughs> do that. And it's, but it's known. It's quite a lot. Like it's known. And everyone's like, cool. Because now they've got a look in on every single one. And like, oh, you're doing that? Cool. Like there's another five projects other people could do. And I'm like, I would love for someone just to come in and say, I know what it should look like. This is what it should look like. And this is how you're going to fix it. And I'm like, imagine that as an offer. Oh my gosh. I think it's an incredible opportunity. I, I do. I'm not like I know, a, I know agency world very well. It's the world I've been in for, let's call it the last 10 years. All right, if I look at an agency owner's P&L, I can tell straight away where they're loaded, if they're using the wrong tools. Like I could get their cost down in, in probably a couple of hours. Totally. And I look at that as an offering and what someone could do and it's huge. I'll take this to another layer though. If you're, Let's say you're in marketing like I am. I'll loop this back to TikTok. Why not? If you can go to businesses and reposition your marketing offers to, well, we can take the marketing spend you're getting now and actually reduce it for the same result. Or you mean I can spend less, I can save some cash, or spend the same will get you more, right? Like that's a very appealing positioning across the next uh, thing where growth offers I think would perform in different environments. Totally. And you could could align that to like the guarantees that that are aligned to your offer at the moment. So your offer to your point could be, well, I'm just, I just run TikTok ads, Charlie. I'm just an ads company that runs TikTok ads. It's like, well, how can you incorporate You, you certainly are. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, I won't, like, I won't keep harboring on about this one, though, because yeah. I feel like this is uh, a kind of obvious one, but hopefully will make uh, some of our listeners think about some repositioning or just opportunities around that. What's your next point, Grant? All right. I don't know if you've ever heard, Charlie. There were some data breaches in 2022 in Australia. Yeah, all my data has actually been stolen several times. Many of the organizations that you're going to list, I actually use. And I was like, great, do, do I have some sort of special ability to pick the organizations where my data is going to get stolen? Apparently. Yes, you do. Yes, you completely do. Uh, so for all those people who haven't been living under a rock, uh, so essentially like I went back hey, wait, and I looked at- can, can I raise my hand when it's the ones that I actually use? All right, right, so you're only going to see the video, so go through it. Okay, I'm going to pick up the biggest ones. All right, so 2019, Canva, 137 million users leaked. Nice. September 2022, Optus, 9.8 million customers leaked. No hand up. Interesting. Uh, January 2022, Bunnings, 3.7 million. There we go. Hey, you, they've probably got your address too. Uh, May 2022, AMART, 110,000 emails, physical addresses, etc. No, Telstra, October 2022, up to about 30,000. Nice. Um, Medibank Private, up to 3.9 million in October 2020. Nice. There we go. You know what's great? There are some government organizations in here too, Charlie. <laughs> you got Service New do, South do Wales. You know, I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to say it. With all the data of mine that's been stolen, if these ad platforms can't work out how to show me a <laughs> decent ad, I'm going to be rather upset. <laughs> when I was looking at this, I'm like <laughs> – the, the list was huge. Like you got services in New South Wales, you've got the Australian Defence Force, you've got like Deakin Universities, you've got all of these things, all of these people who have had data breaches. 
And now you're seeing across the news, which is like everyone going, oh my gosh, like government saying this needs to be fixed. We've got to approach it here. Like the opportunity in 2023 to grab some good government funding to go and do something here is huge. And there, there was one thing that I really wished that people would just create for me, Charlie. And I would pay, I'd pay a decent amount for this. Okay, so wait, wait, let's sum it up. So the the thing we're noticing here is that data breaches have become huge, and I would say cybersecurity, cybersecurity, online security, massive problem, massive trend. How is this Completely. an opportunity in twenty twenty three, Grant? All right, hear me out. So there's there's a heap of opportunity here. So the first one is this great opportunity for I'm go- I'm going to call it proxy services, right? So imagine that. Like what the P.O. boxes were back in the day where you didn't want someone to know where you lived, Charlie. So you go and send everything to a P.O. box and then the Australian Post Office rejected boxes that were delivered to P.O. boxes so you couldn't do them anymore. (laughs) So like something like that where I just have like this proxy mailbox. It's like 12345 Burke Street, Melbourne, Vic. And then it knows that, well, that's connected to Grant. I have Grant's address. I'm just going to send it to Grant. And then if any of my data gets leaked, I just push the button and they change it. And now apply that concept to phone numbers. So my mobile phone, I just put in a different one and just routes all the calls to me and it can filter out the spam for me. So I stop getting people who want to sell me stuff. And I do the same for emails. And it just has this spam filter. It's like, these are the ones that you want. And then anytime there's a data breach, I push a button and it changes it and it creates a new one. I'm like, Thanks, can I ask on. a question here? Do you have an email address you created just for things to subscribe to you don't want getting into your good email address? <laughs> Definitely. But the problem was- So this was, is like the idea, proxy, right? I actually do the same. I'm like, this is, a, this is interesting. I hadn't considered how many variables there are. Like there's that, is it, what's the, you've got a digital uh, card one as well. I can't remember what yeah. this is. Is it like Air through Wallets. Wise? Or, yeah, Air Wallet as well. Where you create like a, a debit card that's like a proxy debit card. Completely. But I would just love it all in one system where I just pay one amount, monthly fee, and it's like create a fake persona, for example. But behind the fake persona, so if you send any mail there, it will get to me. If you send a, if you call that number, it will get to me if you do this. But then if I'm receiving too much spam stuff, I just go like recreate and it just recreates a new set of things. And I go, okay, cool. And then I stop getting it until like another data breach and I go recreate again. And so it's almost like this hidden data. Uh, then the other thing that I would love, Charlie, is the ability to uh, push a button and have all my logins change. <laughs> Just because I'm like, I think this is turning into Grant's wish list, though, and not an opportunity in 2023. I think the problem is real. I think those business ideas are great ideas. Loop, looping this back, though, let's let's bring this into where there is opportunity as an overall idea. So, number one, if you're a business that can help businesses with improving their security, I'm with you. So, I think cyber security services huge. I think software huge. So, if you are going to create Grant's proxy. Subscription service, probably got one customer, maybe two, um, right out of the gate here. Three, I look at this as like if you're going to be someone training people, like RTO and education type stuff could be huge here. I think it's going to be a growing arena in general. Like I'm seeing some really interesting ideas. Maybe from an investing point of view, investing in companies that do it, but not investment advice. I clearly don't even know what those companies are. Uh, why don't we talking to somebody as well who is looking for all of the cybersecurity companies on the ASX <laughs> to try and figure out who to invest in? Again, not financial advice. I just found it very interesting. But it's also on the other side of risk mitigation, 
right? So you legally, if you store people's data, you legally need to communicate if there's been a data breach. And so think about all these brands that I've just run through that have had their brand dragged through the mud and just been made. So HR them. services might be a really good one to get into. <laughs> <laughs> All the people get oh, wait, fired. It's not, it's like not HR, it's PR, PR services, PR. right? Public relations. Completely. So it's like, well, how do you avoid these things happening? But on the inverse, it's like, well, if it does happen, how do you make it a little bit softer, a little bit of a softer landing? So it's like a bit obfuscated. Um, so I just see this hitting so many different businesses, but I also think that everyone, one, should be aware of it, but two, should be approaching it. So maybe you charge more for data security on the data that you're storing for other people or things like that. Um, maybe there's people that just look through all of the smaller businesses and just say, hey, here's a monthly fee and we'll just review your data security. Like I just see there's a whole heap of opportunities that sit on top of this. I rate it. Yes. That'll be number one. Do you have a- I don't know if I give it your number one. I think the independent <laughs> media one was pretty strong. I do, I do look at this though and go, absolutely where things are going. Although maybe we asked the audience to let us know whose ideas are better as well. I enjoyed the competition last last time. But that's, right. uh, you know, like I just think my ideas are better. But okay. <laughs> Let's go to my next one here. <laughs> All right, next one. Go for it. All right. So <clears throat> this is going to sound interesting considering what the last few years have been. I think now is an excellent time to become a – developer, a builder and developer. Again, not financial advice. I'm not at all. This is dangerous because it flips into these. But in the last few years, we have seen massive challenges when it comes to building new property and bringing new property on the market. And whether it's supply chains, interest rates, builders going bust, Mm. trade shortages, like a whole mix of things have happened where not enough homes have and just dwellings in general, right? Not even just houses, but apartments, townhouses, all of it haven't been built. So we've got this very, very interesting situation in Australia where there's been not enough stock coming onto the market. There's also not enough in planning right now to cope with the future demand. And I look at that and I just see this squeeze going on where the Mm. demand for new dwellings is going to increase. And because of that, people are going to be paying a premium for them. Now, I will address what I'm saying doesn't come without its headwinds. Supply chains are still challenging. Rising costs of labour and building costs are still there. Borrowing is still there. But I think this equation is so out of whack that if you're someone who's able to capitalise on building and developing properties in locations that are of demand, I think you can do incredibly well, not only in 23, but likely for the years after that. Just think about like the the second layer to that, because to your point, it could be the opportunity of being the builder. It could be the opportunity of doing the planning. It could be the opportunity of finding the places. It could be the like, there's so many things that in, are incorporated into that development concept, right? It's not like just, just, be the builder. You've got everything else that just piles onto it where they've all had this huge impact. If builders are going bankrupt, which they have been at the moment, think about like the architects, the planners, the town planners, the um, the buying of the land, like all these different Wait, things. Wait, you're telling me all the people I need are going to be available? Because Exactly what I'm saying. The opportunity sits there. like they're, And they're all sitting there going, hang on, we've had compression completely through where they haven't gone 
belly up and they haven't got all these other pressures. Like, but they're sitting there with capacity and you've got new people coming out of university, you've got all these things, which is kind of what what's this, what do they say in the goal? It all kind of comes back to <laughs> the critical chain. Like what's the, what is the one roadblock? What's the one blockage? Uh, the builder. I don't, I don't want to steal one of your points here, but I'm just like Can imagining on, this. We'll There's 200,000 new people coming into this country is the plan per year, right? That's the immigration rate. And vacancy rates are tiny as is. And there's this pressure building for like we need buildings. So I'm not even talking about pricing. I'm just talking about there's demand for it. What do we think happens as there's more people putting pressure on whether it's local, state, or federal government to bring supply onto the market? Yep. It's yeah. like we need the buildings. You can't bring 200,000 people into the country and not have homes for them <laughs> or places for them to live. And don't get me wrong, people get creative, right? So maybe that means parents live with their kids for longer or grandparents what moving with families. But that's what we're seeing. But I look at this and go, I don't think that's people's ideals. So yeah. I think the when the opportunity comes where those kids can move out of home, they still want to. So as a sure. trend and theme, building and developing, I'm looking at it. And I know it's a – I like this point because I feel like it's a little bit contrarian. It would be easy to say, Charlie, now is the worst time ever to be developing. And I could understand your reasons, but yeah. that's why I'm putting it in as a contrarian and also not financial advice point. Are you uh, – does a little part of you want to get back on the tools? Is that what it is? Or would you would you develop something so far away that you couldn't get on the tools because you'd be too tempted? Well, so for those that don't know, my father was a builder and um, my mother currently works for a builder, I think, Um She's in that industry. We, uh, throughout growing up, we did actually like, I, w- I don't want to say flip. We did like spec homes and my, my parents sold them off. I've been very involved in the building industry. And then I was actually a plumber as well. So I did a plumbing apprenticeship. I actually feel like this is what uniquely positions me to understand this. Mm-hmm. So from the onset, I'm looking at this and understanding it very different than someone who just sees the investment asset. Like I've been in the industry that supports it. And I just know how many people there are in those industries who want jobs, want work, are motivated to make money. And I just look at it and go, there's this dynamic of it that makes me think about this differently. Because I know it is possible to build. I know what goes into building. Have I fantasized about the idea of throwing the tool belt back on, you know, doing a bit of renovation here and there, Grant? You totally have. I can see it. It's in the face. Absolutely. I've considered it. (laughs) I really have. Buy, like literally buy things, buy a big house, knock it down and put three on it because that's what this country needs a little bit at the moment. We need more buildings and I see the opportunity in that. Well, my hands do nothing but hit a keyboard, so I definitely can't help you on that, on that one at all. Um, but the other thing I like about this is you've got so many places to apply lessons learned, right? So all of these builders and developments that have stopped or completely collapsed or anything like that, you get the benefit of foresight. It's like, why? Like the first thing I'd be doing is looking back at, well, what happened to them? Where did they overcapitalize? What did they not consider? What did they not approach? And you get to apply all of that. Like you get to learn from everybody else on what not to do now. Like why did they fail? Like they failed this way. Okay, we're just going to do something different. <laughs> so what do you think happens, Grant? Let's say a builder's halfway through a project and they bankrupt. What do you think happens to those projects that haven't been completed? Someone else picks up the plans and continues it. Yeah, except there's a very key difference is that type of work. I mean, that's an opportunity in itself at the moment, picking up 
those types of uh, projects and completing them. So you can do really well in that type of environment if you're positioned. Uh, Builders can make substantial money on completing other projects because like imagine you've just bought a house that's halfway complete, builder goes bankrupt. What are you going to do? Yeah. you still got to finish it. So if you're going in and quoting this work, like they often put a premium on it. And it's because they can. <laughs> yeah, it's emotional purchase because people haven't, like, they've been waiting for that house to be built for two, three, four years. <laughs> and it's like, I'm waiting. And you're like, yeah, cool. Like, it is what it is. This is what it's going to cost you. I like that. I I tend to concur outside of me not jumping on tools. I'll be the foreman with a coffee in my hand. It's fine. Valor I developments. I can see it now. I can, because uh, why not, right? Why not? Anyway, let's jump out of this one here. What's right, your next so your, point? Yeah, your point actually kind of mimics a little bit of mine, although it's, quite different. So one of the big opportunities that I see, which is very similar of having so many immigrants coming into Australia, but also having an increase of demand of people wanting to buy their first home. So you've got 2000 immigrants coming in and you have this underswell of people who might not have purchased over the last couple of years or in the last year because, well, rates were getting too high or the price was too high. And now they're going, oh, prices in Melbourne and Sydney seem to be coming down or it seems to be a little bit more stable on rates. And they're all going and hey, let's go on into this industry. And so unlike you saying, hey, let's go and build their houses for them, I look at this and I go, well, there's this great opportunity for like multi-tenancies, right? Where people, I like buying properties with land. So I'm not a big buyer of apartments, but, and I've got quite a few houses on its own block of land. And I'm like, if I was able to support this where we've got multiple houses or multiple units on one block, like a multi-tenancy, I think this is a great opportunity just because the demand is there where a lot of people go, I don't want to live in an apartment. I can't afford a house. I want this middle of the rung place. So you've kind right, of got this semi-dent. I want to understand it. So you're, you're suggesting in this idea that there's a group of people that cannot afford to buy, let's say, standalone homes or even Correct. rent standalone homes yet they don't want to be in apartment buildings yep. for whatever reason. They don't like the density or whatever there is. So you think there is going to be a demand that is more in line for like townhouses or duplexes. So if yep. you are someone who is investing in property in those types of assets, your market of renters will increase substantially here. Totally. So the super low vacancy rates at the moment suggest that these types of investments are going to be this prime spot where the density is lower they're usually closer to like little sort of city centers if you will and they're not as far out as like a house will be so especially for immigrants they might need to walk or bike or something like that to work yes not picking it on the immigrants right the immig- <laughs> i've met some recently <laughs> first- who have just come into the country they're fantastic people it's not the immigrants I'm- fault if anyone's <laughs> fault it's, it's fault. government's fault grant it's government's I'm fault I'm not saying it's their fault. I'm saying oh, you're like, totally going to turn into one of those like get out of my country types, aren't you? No, like we're all immigrants. I'm, like, I'm married an immigrant. Like, come on, <laughs> like this is. I'm like the most. And exactly now I'm gonna, like, why you should check your derogatory tone of the immigrants. I'm not. St- huh? You've got. But I'm saying that they've they've come into the country and they're looking for a place. And to they've live. taken your jobs. And they're, no, they're not <laughs> taking my jobs. They've come into a country and they're like. Hey, apartment living, it's too much of a sardine and we might not be able to afford a house because we've just come in and we're settling down this semi sort of detached multi 
tenancy is a great opportunity. And I think there are some awesome opportunities coming up as well with interest rates increasing and people might need to sell or might not need to sell. Maybe some boomers are getting out of some multi-tenancy place or maybe you buy some, uh, build some for me, Charlie, and I'll buy them. It's completely fine. I just think that this is a great opportunity for 2023. And I love immigrants, by the way. I'm not. I think it's fantastic. Don't shit on me. Well, there's something I've seen that supports this, Grant, and this is the rise of the rooming house. Uh, so in the last few years, we've yep. seen, and we know people that are in the industry of rooming houses, and I didn't necessarily think that that asset class would get off the ground, in all honesty. So for those that don't know, the, the rooming house thing or micro-apartments micro is it's almost yeah. like, what, what would you describe it as? It's like a big house that might have eight rooms in it. They're all self-contained to a degree, but it's like you just have the one room where I think it's like- not in it. Yeah, it's like a dorm room, but you've got the bathroom in the dorm. So you can have like a little kitchenette, yeah, your bedroom, yeah, like your bed. The self-contained version ones. You're not having to share all the facilities or share bathrooms in a lot Completely. of cases. Or, though I'm sure there's some that are like student accommodation that do that in areas as well. But totally. the point being is I didn't necessarily expect the people that were using them or buying them to be the ones that are. So, for example, we, we know a guy who does rooming houses in Victoria and like he's built some in quite affluent suburbs and where they've actually done really well is like divorced couples. Yep. So couples later in life in their 40s get uh, divorced. There might be a guy, still works, but just doesn't need a lot of space or his own apartment and he's gravitating towards that type of asset because it offers a good cost of living. Where I generally only thought of rooming houses as like social housing. It would be like, you know, governments would rent them from people and put people in uh, for whatever reason as government subsidised housing. So that would support your claim here because I know that industry is, is growing strong. I also think there's another one to sit behind this is that once upon a time, I think people wouldn't settle for less than a house where I think people are willing to compromise on not living in a house to be in a certain location. So would you rather have a house and live in whoop whoop where you're not close to your friends, you're not close to work, there's no facilities, or would you settle for a townhouse but you get all the access to things that are more important to you or even apartment these days? So that's a trend I see growing as well. Totally. And I look at things like, so first off, roomy houses, completely agree. Like I, My sanity check was if I was single and I was a younger person, could I live in a rooming house if I needed to afford that thing? And the answer is yes. Right, self-contained. I, I concur. If that was an option when, or I'd known about it, it maybe was an option, but I, in what they are now, I would have looked at that or considered that. It, totally. And so it, it has now evolved to the point that there is these, this group of people that I think it would be tailored towards. And I'm not going to say immigrants, Charlie, but there are a group of people like Grant growing up. There are uh, people who might need a nice re- like Nice reframe. Like Excellent mm-hmm. reframe. Dude, you have totally trashed my person <laughs> who I am, but it's awesome. I, I, I'm going um, to make sure your wife listens to this episode. I hope she gives you a hard time at the way you've worked on the immigrant screen. Oh, my gosh. And so, uh, but also people who have gone through divorce and stuff, like the people who were in that state, which this it is what it is. Um, I think that they're great. I also like the fact of like unit blocks where there is a shared backyard. People can get out. You can do these things. But also as an investor, I'm like there is land component there that I like. There is a cash flow component there that I like. But there is also this influx of need that comes through where people are trying to save to buy their first house, where people are trying to get themselves settled in a new country, where people are trying to set themselves. Maybe they've 
finished university and they're working at like a restaurant or something like that and they're trying to find like that next career progression, perfect. Like this is where it's at. Do you think the Australian dream is changing with this as well, where there's even a group of people that don't want the house experience anymore? Totally. Totally. Yes. So <laughs> what? How much more time have we got left on this podcast? I could go into this for a, a long period of time. Well, we could I, do what we always do. If we talk too long, we'll just cut it into two. Sure. Right, so don't worry. Um, <laughs> so I look at sort of – I'm trying to articulate my words appropriately. The world that we are moving towards is becoming sort of a lot more – I don't want to say short-sighted, Charlie, but it's getting to a point where people are happier to subscribe to things, subscribe to Netflix – rent for a longer period. People are now willing to have children in apartments, maybe one child going on a second child, and then they're going to start looking out. And at what point does the market just meet their demand or they what they think they need changes where they go, oh, wow, I can totally do a kid or two kids in an apartment. Maybe I don't go for a third kid because this is where I want to live. And I think as society continues to change and as the products on the market continue to change, like apartments with three, maybe four bedrooms coming on, Charlie. Then people will say, you know what? I'm happy without buying. I'll just rent so that I can adapt the market. I think the same is going to happen with cars. I think people will just lease cars as opposed to buying cars. And that will be the case. I think a lot of people won't end up owning cars full stop. And I think I, that this I do is, like the idea of that, by the way. Like it's no, funny how appealing that is to me, but I could, I'm not sure if my parents would necessarily agree with that, right? Like the boomers, that is something where they're generationally just wired a little bit different for what's normal for them. Not good or bad, but it's just different. This is what happens generationally. Totally. Um, and you've even got the government pushing for a subscription with like going more land tax than stamp duties you know, when they're testing it out in New South Wales. Like you've got more of these, I'll call them subscription things where we just pay monthly or yearly for them. And by paying monthly or yearly, we still get access to it. We totally could have made that and one of the points for this episode. <laughs> I've just realized you just found another opportunity in 2023. If you took something with an obscenely high upfront cost and turned it into a subscription, that is a business opportunity. Totally. I, and I think, I think 2023 is going to be a step into that. I think it's going to take a while for it to adapt in, but – how much easier is it to budget on subscriptions? You don't need to save for the thing. And this is why like the afterpays of the world became so massive because like, well, you get the thing now and you get to pay it off over a period of time. Not Would you just pay thing. Apple right now like $1,000 a month and just have all their latest stuff always? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's yes, I, I, I just, there's a lot of things that I pay monthly just for the convenience of it. It's like you with Muscle Chef, like you just pay the monthly fee and get the thing and just go, you know what, this this is just easier than me going and trying to make it independent. And so, conveniences. Totally. And so, for my viewpoint, I actually think that as a society, we're all moving towards there. And we're just seeing these little things get carved out. Like, the Netflix is a great example. Um, and it's just like carved out, carved out, carved out. And like gym memberships, all those kind of things, it will just apply to the rest. And I just, yeah, I, I don't believe that home ownership will be the Australian dream in the next, it'll probably take a couple of decades, but I just, I just don't think it will be the case. I know we veered off into another topic here, but um, <laughs> at the same time, bringing this back to the point of there, so Grant's potential and where he's looking or sees opportunity, I should say, is the idea is that there's a certain type of asset class that is going to emerge to be more in demand. It's a very And it's an interesting one I look at as well because as an investor, just putting on the investor hat, coming back to one of your points, I think it's really interesting behind this 
you may not have the ability to buy an entire apartment block in Complete. that's massive, but like duplexes, small unit blocks, those types of things, like I can see where you're coming from this. I can really see. All right. I'm going to jump into the next one here because we are actually running long now, but I think this is a, a, an important one to cover as well. I've seen opportunities appear in private lending. You, you're in my space. I love this. Continue. Just continue. <laughs> All right. So one of the byproducts of interest rates going up has been that for a lot of businesses and investors is that they have lost the ability to access finance as easily or as cheaply. So, for example, is that a lot of people who could previously access finance easily haven't been able to do that and they've now had to go to the private markets to fund their business. Now, you and I know someone and have spoken to this person where because their inability to raise money uh, conventionally through the banks, which they were doing like sub 5%, I'm going to guess before, but they were able to yep. borrow money at 5%, have now had to go over to the private markets and they're actually borrowing money from the private markets above 15%. It's insane. Insane. In the last 10 years, where have you been able to get 15% on cash? It, it Impossible. Like, it, they didn't exist. Didn't exist. Yeah, now, I've always been a little bit like peer-to-peer -peer has – when I've looked into it in previous times, because I did at a point, they weren't offering anything above inflation. So I was like, why would I ever do peer-to-peer -peer or or anything like that, which is just private lending peer-to-peer? -peer. Um, yep. Why would I ever look at an opportunity like that when it's like it's not going to outpace inflation? So like why would I buy a bond with a 1% yield if there's a 5% inflation rate? I'm getting eroded away. And that's just me speculating. I can't speak for the bond market. Um, where now I'm looking at this and going, if there's opportunities for me to lend money out, at 15% return, I'm like, well, now there's actually like a, a real positive return on this. And the places that I find this the most interesting has been uh, the software and tech market or startup market is where we've seen some interesting things happen. Um, but then the other one is actually developing and building. So many developers and builders are now looking for like what they call money partners. Like, hey, who can actually supply funds to help me finish this project and I'll uh, cut you in on the returns of the project. Where years ago, it's like, well, what would they need me for? They'll just go to the banks and get cheap money. Yep. I, oh, there's so many ways to take this. So the f first and foremost, uh, I was talking to a guy who runs a software as a service company, so a SaaS business, um, who was just looking for some help in sort of what he's facing. And he had debt across, I think it was about three or four different sort of vendors at all like crazy interest rates. And I just said, just go to peer-to-peer -peer lending, consolidate it all, and it's going to be so much cheaper and more affordable. Like he had credit cards that were overdue and stuff like that, and his business makes decent money. He's just using it to continue to grow in a state where it hasn't been feasible. I'm like, just consolidate it together. Your monthly cash flow is going to be quicker and easier, and there's thousands of people that, <clears throat> that will lend it to you at a cheaper rate. And I'm like, this is not a where do I find them? It's literally you could do a post on Facebook and find 100 of them. Like it's – it is now this opportunity for people to get access to lending that just wasn't around before. But interestingly enough, the thing that I'm starting to see, so I, I did a raise a couple of months ago. Um, and so convertible notes, which in the software space is essentially it's debt where you pay an interest over two to three years. And then at the end, you just pay the principal off in one big hit or you can 
convert it to equity, right? And so what we saw during sort of a couple of years ago, it was sitting around about 10% is what you would get. So call it like 1%. Now people are coming out with like 18% and they're all starting to try and fight for it. So I'm like these people, like, and you're talking about people who've got like 20 million bucks into the bank account doing nothing and they're just like, we want to turn it into debt. And then what they'll do is they'll go out to what we call family offices who just rep a group, uh, like it's a company that basically represents high net worth individuals and they'll go, who wants money? And then people will just send through a pitch deck and they go, let's have a conversation. And then if you've got too many offers, they'll li- literally negotiate themselves on interest rates on it. It's, it is insane. And I've just never seen anything like it. Like money is not a problem anymore as long as you're willing and easy, able to pay the interest rates. Like it's, and it, but it's not from the banks. It's from everywhere else. Everyone else's cash is where it's coming from. I, I look at this and on many fronts think it's where we're going. Like whether you agree with this or not, I think interest rates, my personal view, are probably going to settle somewhere around that where they are now. Like there's been a market shift is my, is my view. So I don't think we go 5% and then like, you know, back down to zero quickly. Maybe, but I, and I don't know, but my general consensus is here. So in a world where the banks now operate like this, this industry is going to grow. And if you have a great business and you're creating cash, now there's opportunities to invest in debt and peer-to-peer that I didn't that didn't exist in the same way. Now we'll caution people like when you go into this, like there is certainly riskier ends of this market. I think you have to ask yourself the question if someone can't raise money in a bank traditionally, there's a reason. Yep. So you have to be willing to why you are getting that 15% rate is because there is an increased level of risk. So be very careful of what you're getting into and like you would really want to know your stuff or be working with someone who knows their stuff because you could get absolutely rorted in this. I can see that now. But an interesting opportunity and trend for 2023. I might you, I might try and do a small one just so I can be a part of it. Have you seen what's coming out in the tech space too? Oh, you'd love this. So what they've got is a, essentially it's like a peer-to-peer platform and so you can go and put up cash into the platform and what – tech companies do is they go and integrate it into like their stripe and proves what their whatever their income is or their subscription income is and from that they can go and calculate how much they can borrow and at what percentage interest rate and i'm like that is insane value because for anybody else you can just sit there and just get this huge return on back of whatever money hold up hold up hold up i just dropped out did you talk that entire time I did. Can you give me the notes so I can jump back in? <laughs> so the, the summary is, so there's, there's peer-to-peer platforms, it's primarily for the tech space, where you can go and put in your money as an investor and tech companies will integrate their Stripe account and it automatically calculates what their annual recurring revenue is and how long a customer stays on for and spits out how much money the tech company can borrow and at what interest rate based on like the risk profile. See, tech opportunities that sit in. I was going to say, like, it's, it's kind of unfortunate what's happened in crypto because some of the things they've been creating in this DeFi space, right, it would have uh, – to take that point further, it's unfortunate there's been so much, I would say, fraud and events go down that have damaged totally. the reputation of the crypto industry because there's been some amazing technology development that's not a currency type thing but these DeFi platforms – which would enable peer-to-peer lending in a really cool way, 
really so, wouldn't. I hope that technology makes it over into we'll call it real world because I think there could be some interesting applications. But Grant, I just want to share a quick story on this. How I actually started to spot this is as we were doing the research this episode, I said, oh, look, if I was going to get valid developments off the ground, what, what type of lending is out there? <laughs> so that's what highlight. I'm like, I couldn't believe the rates and opportunities that sits there. So, also, valor loan sharking coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you feel like you need to put the shark in the name? Yeah, I want people to know, like, you're coming here because you can't get money elsewhere. Like, let's just dance around it. You know, like, you <laughs> call, sometimes you just need to call out what it is. Your last resort, finance.com.au. Jeepers. <laughs> uh, All right, should we wrap this one up? Let's wrap it up. All right, just want to say thank you to everybody for joining us. And again, if you do want to get notified every single time we drop one of these episodes, head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter and put in your details. And I will actually say, hit reply on the email that you do get and let Charlie, myself know what opportunities you see in 2023. And I don't even f- want that. Don't tell me that. I just want them to tell me whose ideas were better. <laughs> I, feel, I, I feel like your peer-to-peer lending was the winner. Um, maybe. But yes. And so maybe See, I don't want them to will decide. Maybe, maybe I don't want them to reply. Uh, we'll look forward to catching you on the next episode of Business and Investing.